chapter thirty five of the maid of scar this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org the maid of scar by r d blackmore chapter thirty five the polite ferryman now for a man of my age and knowledge keeping an eye on his own concerns and under the eyes of a good many women eager to have him because confessed superior to the neighbourhood yet naturally doubtful how much money would be wanted for such a man to attend to things which could not concern him in any way without neglecting what now he had found a serious matter at his time of life this to my mind proves a breadth of sympathy rarely found outside of wales entering into these things largely and desiring to do my best having moreover naught else to do except among dabs and flounders i was led by a naturally active mind to try to turn a penny not for my own good so much as for the use of bunny therefore having the punt at command and a good pair of oars and a good pair of arms what did i do but set up a ferry such as had never been heard of before and never might have been dreamed of except for my intelligence because we had two miles to barnstaple bridge and no bridge at all to be found below us and a good many houses here and there on either side of the river and i saw that they must know one another and were longing to dine or to gossip together except for the water between them or the distance to walk all the way by the bridge so being left in this desolate state and shamefully treated by captain fuzzy and bang's grandmother now neglecting me at a period of sadness while smoking a pipe providence gave me this brilliant idea i never had dreamed for a moment of settling without something permanent and not even thirty pounds a year would tempt me to do any despite to my late dear wife's remembrance a year and a day at the very least was i resolved to mourn for her still as the time was drawing on i desired to have some prospect not to settle rashly as young people do in such affairs which really should be important but to begin to feel about and put the price against the weight and then take time to think about it only i had made up my mind not to look twice at the very richest and most beautiful methodist enough had i had for my life of them and the fellows that come after them church of england or church of rome for me this time at any rate with preference to the latter because having no chapel in our neighbourhood and i worked this ferry if you will believe me not for the sake of the tuppence both ways half so much as because of my thoughts of the confidence that i must create i knew for i won't say forty years but at any rate good thirty what women are the very moment they must needs come into a boat the very shyest and wisest of them are at the mercy of a man right out 
and i never could help believing that they come for that very reason i know all their queerness of placing their toes and how they fetch their fingers up and manage to hitch their petticoats and try to suppose they are quite on a balance and then go down plump on the nearest thwart and pretend that they did it on purpose nevertheless they are very good and we are bound to make the best of them when i told parson chowne of my ferry-boat rather than let him find it out which of course must have happened immediately a quick gleam of wrath at my daring to do such a thing without consulting him moved in the depth of his great black eyes at least i believed so but was not sure for i never could bear to look straight at his eyes as i do to all other people especially anthony stew esq i thought that my fairy would be forbidden but with his usual quickness he saw that it might serve his purpose in several ways because it would help to keep me there as well as account for my being there and afford me the best chance in the world of watching the river traffic so he changed his frown to an icy smile such as i never could smile at and said behold now what good luck comes of my service only remember no fares to be taken when the tide serves for you know what and especially no gossiping this being settled to my content i took a great piece of loose tarpaulin out of the hold of the rose of devon and with a bucket of thick lime whiting explained to the public in printing letters each as large as a marlinspike who i was and of what vocation and how thoroughly trustworthy and let any one read it and then give opinion in common fairness whether any man capable of being considered a spy would ever have done such a thing as this david llewellyn mariner of the royal navy ferryman to king george the third each way or both ways only tuppence ladies put carefully over the mud live fish on hand at an hour's notice and of the choicest quality this last statement was not quite so accurate as i could have desired to oblige the public i kept the fish too long on hand occasionally because i never had proper notice when it might be wanted and therefore no reasonable person ever took offence at me one fine day towards the frosty time who should appear at my landing-stage on the further side of the river just by the lime-kiln not far from the eastern end of narnton court who but a beautiful young lady with her maid attending her the tide was out and i was crossing with a good sixpennyworth that being all that my boat would hold unless it were of children and seeing her there i put on more speed so as not to keep her waiting when i had carried my young women over the mud and received their tuppences i took off my hat to the fair young lady who had kept in the background and asked to what part i might have the honour of conveying her ladyship i am not a ladyship she answered with a beautiful bright smile i am only a common lady and i think you must be an irishman this i never am pleased to hear because those irish are so untruthful however i made her another fine bow and let her have her own way about it then mr irishman she continued you are so polite we will cross the water 
no no thank you as i offered to carry her you may carry nanette if she thinks proper nanette has the greatest objection to mud but i am not quite so particular and she tripped with her little feet over the bank too lightly to break the green cake of the ooze you sall elave me my good man said nanette who was rather a pretty french girl mamselle can afford to disfigure her dress but i can no such thing do at all meanwhile the young lady was in the boat sitting in the stern sheets like a lieutenant and laughing merrily at nanette who was making the prettiest fuss in the world not indeed with regard to her legs which an english girl would have considered first but as to her frills and fripperies and smelling my quid she had no more sense than to call me a coachman or something like it however i took little heed of her although her figure was very good for i knew that she could not have sixpence and scarcely a hundred a year would induce me to degrade myself down to a real french wife for how could i expect my son ever to be a sailor now as i pulled and this fine young lady who clearly knew something about a boat nodded her head to keep time with me and showed her white teeth as she smiled at herself my own head was almost turned i declare and i must have blushed if it could have been that twenty years of the fish trade had left that power in me because this young lady was so exactly what my highest dreams of a female are and never yet realized in my own scope and her knowledge of a boat and courage and pleasant contempt of that french chit who had dared to call me a coachman when added to her way of looking over the water with fine feeling such as i very often have and must have shown it long ago also the whole of this combined with a hat of a very fine texture indeed such as i knew for italian and a feather that curled over golden pennon of hair in the wind like a spanish ensign and not only these things but a face and manner and genuine beauty of speech not to be found in a million of women after dwelling on all these things both steadily and soberly over my last drop of grog before i went into my berth that night and prayed for the sins of the day to go upward what do you think i said on the half-deck and with all the stars observing me i'm damned if i'll serve parson chowne any more i said it and i swore it and when i came to think of it in a practical manner next morning and to balance the ins and outs and what i might come to if thus led astray by a man in holy orders yet whose orders were all unholy at any rate such as he gave to me and when i reflected on three half-crowns for finding me in everything and then remembered how i had turned two guineas in a day when poor bardie came to me and with a conscience as clear as a spent cuttlefish and never a sign of my heels behind me when squeamish customers sat down to dinner also good mother jones with sweet gossip while my bit of flesh was grilling and my little nip of rum and the sound of bunny snoring while i smoked a pipe and praised myself also the pleasure of doubting whether they could do without me at the jolly through the wall and the certain knowledge how the whole of the room would meet me if i could deny myself enough to go among them 
these things made me lose myself as in this sentence i have done in longing to find old times and places and old faces once again and some one to call me old dio now who would believe that the whole of all this was wrought in my not very foolish mind by the sight of a beautiful high-bred face and the sound of a very sweet softening voice also the elegant manner in which she never asked what the passage would come to but gave me a bright and true half-crown for herself and that frippery french girl i must be a fool no doubt i am when the spirit of ancestors springs within me spoiling all trade as an inborn hiccup ruins the best pipe that ever was filled for though i owed three tidy bills i had no comfort until i drilled a little hole in that bright half-crown and hung it with my charms and knobs and call inside my jersey and thus the result became permanent and my happiness was in my heart again and all my self-respect leaped up as ready to fight as it ever had been when i had shaped a firm resolve to shake off chown like the devil himself i cannot imagine a lower thing than for any man to say and some were even to that degree base that i thus resolved upon calculation and ability now to get on without him and balance of his three half-crowns against the income of my ferry with which i admit that his work interfered neither would any but a very vile man dare to cast reflections upon me for having created by skill and eloquence a small snug trade in the way of fish and of those birds which are sent by the lord in a casual way and without any ownership for the good of us unestated folk while i deny as unequivocally as if upon oath before magistrates that more than fifty hares and pheasants but there i may go on for ever rebutting those endless charges and calumnies which the mere force of my innocent candour seems to strike out of maliciousness once for all i never poach i never stab salmon i never smuggle i never steal boats i never sell fish with any stink outside of it and how can i tell what it does inside or what it may do afterwards i never tell lies to anybody who does not downright call for it and you may go miles and miles i am sure to find a more thoroughly honourable good-hearted brave and agreeable man now i did not mean to say any of this when i began about it neither am i in the habit of deigning even to clear myself but once beginning with an explanation i found it the best to start clear again because parson chowne and my manner towards him which for the life of me i could not help also my service under him and visit at his house and so on and even my liking for parson jack after his sale to satan though managed without his privity as well as my being had up for shooting pheasants with a telescope these and many other things too small now to dwell upon may have spread a cloud betwixt my poor self and my readers and a cloud whose belly is a gale of wind it is not that i ever could do any unworthy action it is simply that i can conceive the possibility of it seeming so to those who have never met me and who from my over-candid account purposely shaped 
dead against myself may be at a loss to enter into the delicacies of my conduct but you shall see by and by and seeing is believing now it was a lucky thing that on the very morning after i had made up my mind so and before it was altered much down came chowne in a tearing mood with his beautiful black mare all in a lather i was on board of the rose of devon smoking my first after-breakfast pipe and counting my cash from the fairy business of the day before except of course the half-crown which lay among my charms and strengthened me the ketch was aground in a cradle of sand which she had long ago scooped for herself and which she seldom got out of now except just to float at the top of the springs she stood almost on an even keel unless it were blowing heavily our punt or rather i should call her mine by this time for of course she most justly belonged to me after all their breach of contract and desertion of their colours at any rate there she was afloat and ready for any passenger while my notice to the public flapped below the main boom of the ketch you precious rascal cried chowne from the wharf with his horse staring at the tarpaulin and half inclined to shy from it who was it crossed the river twice in your rotten ferry-boat yesterday please your reverence i answered calmly puffing at my pipe which i knew would still more infuriate him will your reverence give me time to think let me see why let me see there was mother pugsley from up the hill and mother bid good from round the corner and farmer skinner and young joe thorne and eliza tucker from the mill and jenny stribling and honour jose first cousin to our captain and well i think that's nearly all that i know the name of your reverence i thought you knew me better now than to lie to me llewellyn you know what i mean as well as i do to be sure to be sure your reverence i beg your pardon altogether i ought to have remembered poor old nanny go to bed the wharf was high and our gunwale below it he put his mare at it clapped in the spurs and before i could think or even wonder he had me by the nape of the neck with his knuckles grinding into me and his face now ashy white with rage fixed on me so that i could not move will you tell me he cried i won't said i crack came his hunting whip round my sides crack and wish and crack again then i caught up a broken spar and struck him senseless over the tail of his horse the mare ramped all round the half-deck mad then leaped ashore with her legs all bloody and scoured away with her saddle off chowne lay so long insensible that a cold sweat broke through the heat of my wrath to think that i had killed him and but for his hat i had done no less for i struck with the strength of a maddened man and the spar was of heavy dantzik i untied his neckcloth and ran for water and propped him up and bathed his forehead although my hands were trembling so that i could scarcely hold the swab and now as i watched his pale stern face without a weak line in it even from fainting i was amazed at having ever dared to lift hand against him but what royal navy man could ever put up with horsewhip 
at last he fetched a strong breath and opened the usual wickedness of his eyes and knew me at once but did not know exactly what had befallen him i have had a good deal to do with knocking down a good many men and know that such is their usual practice and that if you take them promptly then they will sometimes believe things very freely therefore i said your reverence has contrived to hit yourself very hard but i hope you will soon be better again hit myself why somebody hit me and then he went off again into a doze from the buzzing of his head perhaps perceiving that he would soon come to himself and desiring to be acquitted of any violent charge of battery i jumped down into the hold and fetched an old broom that was lying there and hoisted it up in the tackle fort so as to hang at about the right height moreover i put the spar well away and then with a sluice of water i fetched his reverence back to himself again i found him very correct this time and beginning to look about pretty briskly therefore i turned him away and said your reverence must not look at it it will make your head go round again either shut your eyes or look away your worship he seemed not to notice me so i went on your reverence has had a narrow escape what a mercy your head is not broken your reverence went to chastise me and lo your horse reared and threw your reverence against that great boom which that lubberly jose has left there ever since we broke cargo you are a liar he said you struck me to the last day of your life you shall rue it the voice of his throat ran cold all through me being so low and so cold itself and the strength of his eyes was coming back and the bitter disdain of his countenance the devil who wanted him for a rare morsel in the way of cannibalism stood at my elbow but luckily thought it sweeter not to hurry it the foulest man on all god's earth who made a scoff of mercy's self lay at my mercy for a minute defied it took it and hated it for the sake of myself i let him go for the sake of mankind i should have slain him End of chapter thirty five